Road to Life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. This week, we're hearing from our guest pastor who did a great job inspiring us through the Word of God. For more information, visit roadtolifechurch.com, and we'll see you next week. How many of you guys love Pastor Mike? Come on, can we, can we just make some noise to Pastor Mike, Pastor Jill? Come on, we could do... I heard you guys worship. We could get a little bit louder. Can we just thank them for the years and years of leading us in an incredible way? Guys, I'm excited for uh, this morning. Uh, As Pastor Mike said, he can't stay seated and preach here. Neither can I, but I'm going to do my best uh, to sit here. I have a passage in in Scripture that I want to open up with, but before I do, I'm just excited to be here. Obviously excited to be here in summer and not winter, okay? Um, Some of you guys who love winter, I will pray for you at the end of the service uh, for freedom. Um, I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, But my wife and I, we live in Southern California. We live in Huntington Beach, California. And uh, for the past 15 years, I've been a full-time missionary with Youth With a Mission and helped start circuit riders and all this stuff. And so I feel like this morning I'm excited because the truth is, Pastor Mike shared a little bit about it, but he said that our goal is to take one step closer to Jesus today. And I really feel like it's, this is all just a pump-up speech unless he comes, unless Jesus comes, unless the Holy Spirit is here. But what's so amazing is every time we gather, God is in the room. And I'm filled with faith because the truth is we just came from about a year and a half of something called One Day L.A., You could hear about it more later because I want to jump into the message, but in simplicity, it was 18 months with over 600 churches and nonprofits and organizations partnered together to show the city of LA the greatest display of love it's ever seen. And it was incredible because we got to culminate foster care initiatives and, and paying off over $40 million of medical debt and seeing churches pass out over 2 million pounds of food in the midst of the height of COVID and all this stuff. Just so you know, I know we hear a lot about LA and California. God is moving in an incredible way. Amen. I know there's so crazy people. There's crazy people everywhere. You know, we're one of them. Okay. But moving on from that, it's just so incredible that for the last week or July 18th to the 24th, we saw over 3,000 people serve for a whole week. And then July 24th, we saw 20,000 people serving the city of Los Angeles. And not only serve, but we got to celebrate with a stadium event with this guy named Small Artist. His name's Justin Bieber. Just a small artist. It was cool. But he got to put on and proclaim the freedom experience with a pastor named Judah Smith and a bunch of other artists. And what was so incredible was we got to see A-list artists and people that maybe aren't known as Christians in the front being led in worship with a guy named Justin Bieber who was walking out and walking closer to Jesus and Judah got to preach the gospel. We saw so many countless amount of people surrender their life to Jesus and take a step closer to Jesus. And so I say all that to you because the title of my sermon is Harvest Time. Can you look at your neighbor and say Harvest Time? I already got up. Can you look at your neighbor and say Harvest Time? If you're taking notes, we're going to be going through a lot of things. We'll see how far we get. But I want, I want a secondary title for you to put, The Power of a Conversation. The Power of a Conversation. And I want you to think through harvest in the lens of conversation. And we're going to jump into John chapter 4, but I want to read a few verses for you. So John 4, 35, it says this. It says, 
Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes in the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white or ripe for harvest. Someone look at your neighbor and say, they're ready. Okay, in John 3, 16 and 17, you know this verse, but we're going to read it again. And you might have heard this story before, but I want you to see it with fresh eyes of faith as we look at it through the lens of harvest time could come through conversation. Why don't you look at this? John 3, 16 and 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for great weather, God. Uh, We just thank you that the beaches will not be too packed today, even though it's a Sunday and perfect weather. Lord, we just thank you so much that, again, like I said earlier, when we ask you to come, you come. And we don't even have to ask, you're here. So we pray for everyone in the room, wherever they're at, whether they, and all those watching online, we just just believe, God, that you are going to do something fresh in us corporately, as well as personally and individually. We thank you so much, Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I think a lot of times when we think of harvest time, if we're honest, it's like, oh yeah, you know, the preacher, the pastor, or the worship leader, a lot of times we, we relegate harvest or even souls being one to that type of person or that personality, the evangelist. And, and I want to go out um, and say that as we read through this story, that all of us in this room, we, we are all evangelists. And, and, and you're like, no, I, I know evangelists. Yes, you are. And I want to show you that a city could be turned upside down just through one conversation. Because here's the truth, right? A lot of us, maybe you're, you're not gifted in public speaking. You don't have to be. I guarantee you probably are, but you don't have to be. It's a muscle like anything else. But, but, but we could all have a conversation. We have it every day. We have it, you know, we have it today, we're going to have it tomorrow. The truth is we all have people around us, whether in our jobs, our family, that either know Jesus or don't know him. We could all create and carry conversation. And so as we jump in in John 4, 3, we have a few points I want you to write them down because um, it's, you're, you'll be special in my book. No, but honestly, notes. I heard, it, I heard someone say, goats take notes. So uh, goats mean greatest of all time. Moving on. Um, okay, John 4, verse 3, it says that he left Judea, that's Jesus, and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Somebody say he had to pass. It says, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus was wearied, everyone say wearied, as he was from, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon. The first point I want you to write down was that Jesus was led through Samaria, even in his wearied state. I love the Bible because it's honest, right? It's not just a bunch of highlights. It's the truth. What's great about Jesus and the reason he's our savior is that he's both fully God and fully man. And what's beautiful about this is not saying Jesus was in, you know, tip top, you know, shape, which I believe he was, you know, he had like an eight pack of abs, but he was walking all over places. Calves were like massive, bigger than Phil Mickelson. Um, but a uh, golf joke doesn't matter. Uh, but, uh, but, but what's amazing about it is that, that he was, he had to have 
full divinity and full humanity to pay the price. Jesus was weary. That's not just hyperbole. He was actually tired. What's so encouraging about this is that you may feel tired as you walked in this morning. Well, God wants to refresh you. God wants to stir you. Maybe in your wearied state, it's the place where God wants you to have a conversation that's going to be eternity shifting for another person. What's so cool about this is that it says he had to pass. Now, it, strict rabbis in, in, in Jewish tradition, they would never go through Samaria. Just so you know, right? We're in a time, 2021, right? Let's not get started of all the things that divide us, right? In the height of, you know, COVID, in the height of racial tension, all that's been going on in 2020 and 2021. I mean, if we're honest, the name Christian when people hear it, they think of maybe Facebook wars. You know what I'm saying? They think of opinions. And what a great opportunity for us to show what true Christians are all about. In Samaria, in this time, it literally was, there was racial wars. Samaritans were looked at as less than Jewish people. In this time, women were looked at as less than men. In this time, opinions were all over the place. You wouldn't even have a strict Jew walking through Samaria because they would be looked at as unclean. Isn't that crazy? But it says that Jesus had to pass. He didn't have to pass. He chose to pass. He chose to pass through. Why? Because Jesus was trying to show us, don't get wrapped up in all these other things. In the midst of everything coming up, like I said before, the racial tension, as it's coming up, what we get to do is we get to say, we get to step in and we get to say, Jesus is speaking to that. In the same way with Samaria, right? He was walking through and he, he sent his disciples into the villages to get food. There was actually known bruised and beaten Pharisees, which what, what they would do is they would close their eyes when a woman would walk by. Is that crazy? They, would, they, they were called bruised and beaten because they would actually run into houses rather than talk to their wife, their mother, or their sister. But Jesus, in this conversation, where we see this revival is going to take place when Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. He had to pass by. Why? Because he was showing us that he was led by the Father. He was led into it because God was showing us that this gospel isn't just exclusive, it's inclusive for all, right? He had to pass through. Sikar also, as we think through this, Sikar, the city actually means drunken or barren. The Jews actually named that city drunken and barren, the capital city, because they thought of the Samaritans not even as people. And here's what's so beautiful about this. Like I said, Jesus, he was weary. His humanity was on display, but he was ready for a miracle. And, and again, as we're talking through this and as we jump in, you may, again, like I said before, I felt like some of us may feel weary. We might feel fatigued from how crazy this past few years have been. Get ready because you're on the precipice of one of your greatest miracles. That's really what I believe. As we move in, verse 7, it says this, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Somebody say, Give me a drink talking about water, okay? Give me a drink. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. That would be a hilarious story for another time. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, <clears throat> again, second point, I want you to write this down. Jesus never knew a dividing line he wouldn't cross to reach a soul. I'm going to say that again. Jesus never knew a dividing line he would not cross 
to reach a soul. And I want you to think about this, that a little bit of grace makes room for a whole lot of truth. And here's what's beautiful. I'm going to say it again. A little bit of grace makes room for a whole lot of truth. It all starts with a question. Here's what's so awesome. Again, think about this. Jesus, wearied from his state, he's sitting by the well. It's 12 o'clock. Just so you know, at that time, traditionally, women would draw water early in the morning, right? Sunrise or sunset. No one would draw water in the heat of the day. It was about a mile or two trek into Jacob's well from the city. This woman, which we find out later, she's a very well-known woman for not the best reasons, right? She's a very well-known woman. She does not want to run into anybody else, probably because there's drama in the city. You know what I'm saying? So she runs into Jesus, and Jesus in, in decides to pursue a conversation with her, and she, Jesus was pursuing her heart, but all through a question. Why? Because Jesus saw this woman, and he said, you know what? My heart yearns, my heart aches for this woman to know that I am eternal life. And what's so amazing, where other Jews, where other places, the dividing lines, where it's like, you can't do this or you can't do that. Jesus stepped over every single one. He talked to a Samaritan, not just a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. Why? Because he was desperate to have her encounter his love. He was desperate for her to encounter his love. In that verse, what's so amazing, again, Jesus knows this woman. We're going to find out in a second. He knows who she is. He knows that she is a wild woman. But Jesus starts with a question. Give me a drink. And then she goes, uh, excuse me, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Let's act like this never happened. Because if Jews talk to Samaritans, they would be seen as unclean. They'd have to go through a week of ritual cleanliness and all this crazy stuff. But Jesus continues on as we keep going. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Somebody say living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw the water with you. And the well is deep, which it's true. It was about 100 feet. I see, I see this like a little bit of sass, you know. She goes, where do you get this living water? Like, don't you be coming up here where you get this living water. You know what I'm saying? She's like, talk to me. Talk to me. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Third point. Curiosity is an art we as Christians must always sow. And if I'm honest, it's a little bit of an art we may have lost. Because I think a lot of times we see people like the Samaritan woman and we're better throwing rocks at people like that versus engaging them in conversation, right? It's so easy to judge from afar. And I've done it, we've all done it. But when we get in the midst with people, we start to realize the truth of their humanity, the truth of their desire. Even as she's saying all this, as we look through, she is hungry for something real. And Jesus says, give me a drink. And she goes, hey, how are you talking to me? And then Jesus stirs curiosity. He goes, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me for living water, right? And, and, and I want you to think about this. Jesus made her curious about the things of God. If you knew the gift of God, right? Jesus is like, if you knew who I was. He made her curious about who Jesus is, who it is who says to you, and he made her curious about what he could give her. He would, be, he would have given you living water. Curiosity, I feel like there's an art to it in conversation. As we enter into this season where so many people are post-Christian, 
postmodern, what we need to do is engage them in conversation. It's so amazing that Jesus chose to relate to the woman with what was in her hands. The amount of times that as I'm sharing the gospel or talking with people, I'll use a sports team, I'll use a t-shirt, I'll be like, dope t-shirt, that's so cool. And then we'll jump into the conversation. Jesus used a bucket in her hand saying, hey, give me a drink. She's like, I can't give you a drink. And Jesus goes, well, you should ask me for living water. I'll give you living water, right? Stirring the curiosity. As we keep going in verse 13, it says this. It says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. What a great question, honestly. That, that fourth point, right? I want you to write this down, that living water still satisfies. Living water still satisfies. What's amazing about that, is that even in her questions, she still was like, yo, give me that living water. If I don't got to keep tracking a few miles, I'm good. Give me that living water. And what's amazing about this, as I felt from the Lord, is that, you know, Jesus says in this verse, you know, if you get this water, you'll never be thirsty again. Some of us in this room, we feel like, well, I've drank of that living water or online. You feel like I've drank of that living water and I used to encounter Jesus and I used to feel this, but now I feel weary. But here's what's amazing. Are you still thirsty? Drink again. Are you still thirsty? Drink again, right? If you feel weary right now, Jesus promises that we will never thirst. That means that if you feel weary, there's an opportunity to continually be refreshed. And, And here's what's so fun. The woman probably said something that we would all say, hey, give me some living water so, uh, so I don't have to go draw water again. And I want you to think about this. Living water, right, eternal life, the Holy Spirit isn't here to make life easier. That might happen at times, but I want you to think about this. Living water is to change us from the inside out. This isn't a ticket to comfortable Christianity. This is an invitation to the ways of Jesus. The woman said, I'll take that living water, but she didn't want to change. And, and we have this saying that we say a lot of times. We say this, let me, let me make sure I, I, I say it correctly. You know, um, Truth without love is harsh, but love without truth is a lie, right? I'm gonna say it again. Truth without love is harsh, but love without truth is a lie. And our generation wants love with no truth. Our generation wants the, 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 the bonuses, the benefits of a savior without the realities of surrender. And I think what Jesus is doing, he's getting ready to take her into this. It's so it's beautiful. In verse 16, we, we got to keep going. I told you, I got a bunch of points. You got to write them down. I'm just going to throw it at you. Some of them are going to stick. It's going to be amazing. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go. This is what's awesome. I'm going to give you some living water. She's like, I want that living water, Jesus. And he goes, all right, go call your husband, verse 16, and come on here. Verse 17, the woman said, um, I ain't got no husband. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceived that you are a prophet. (laughs) And you're like, what gave it away? I don't know that he called you out on all your stuff. Oh my goodness. But I want you to write this down because this is something that I believe we all need to learn that with Jesus, point five, There is both safety and conviction at the same time. Because you'll see in a second, she doesn't walk away. Jesus isn't saying, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now, shame on you. 
It's not how it comes across. Obviously, we can't hear tone, but we see that the woman stays in conversation. Meaning, with Jesus, we have both safety and conviction. And as Christians, a lot of times, we just want people to feel safe. Come, come on in. Don't do anything. We just love you. And yes, you don't have to, you don't have to believe to belong, but as you start to believe, you do have to change. Because Jesus loves us so much that he does, he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay the same. He doesn't want to keep us in our mess and say, keep, keep on sinning, I'll be there. No, he loves us so much because he knows that sin divides. Sin removes us from his presence. So many times we want to feel safe, and that's important, yet we lose conviction. Or on the other side, many Christians, they just want to convict the lost. You're a sinner, repent. You're a sinner, repent. Get ready because it's hot in hell, right? That, 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 that's extreme. But the truth is, is that we expect people to walk in the ways of God before they encounter the love of God. Yes. And, and we can't do that. That's religion. Yeah. Jesus knew how to make people safe. Hey, I love you, but also convict their hearts. You got to change. Why? Because the woman had five husbands and one. So she had six men in her life. And six is the number of men. Six is the number of, of, of even, you know, humanity. But Jesus was coming along saying, I'm the seventh man. The number of perfection. Jesus was standing in front of her saying, I am perfect. I am the man that you have been longing for. Jesus was calling her out because he was telling this Samaritan woman that everybody knew that had five husbands and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. Jesus was saying, you're searching and you're longing for me searching and you're longing for me. Many times, right, we want to lean on one or another, but Jesus beautifully does both. Jesus gives us safety and conviction. As we keep going, got a few more minutes, but I want you to think about this. This is the turn in the conversation. Again, harvest time. Remember, harvest time. There are four months yet to the harvest. Look at how Jesus is pursuing this woman in conversation. He's talking to her questions. Hey, she's like, okay, I'm, I'm hungry for some, I'm thirsty for some living water. And then Jesus goes, hey, go call your husband. Because what is Jesus doing? He's trying to show her every other place she's looked for love. And he's trying to say, I'm, true love is standing right in front of you. Verse 20, check this out. In verse 20, it says this. After she goes, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And you're like, what gave it away? Then, a lot of times what happens, because as, as we see this, first the woman, because in, in conversation there's gonna be some barriers. The first one is um, barriers of society. And the, and, and the Samaritan woman said, Don't, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, I'm a woman, you're a man, we can't talk. So one of the first barriers people will, will have against the gospel and against what we carry is what society says. The second one was a practical barrier. How are you going to give me living water? The well is deep. What, are you going to take off, you know, your robe? That shouldn't be good. Like, how are you going to draw water? You're going to climb down there. You're going to cup it with your hands. So there was a barriers of society. There was barriers practically. And the third one, because she was convicted, she's going to have religious barriers. Right here, we're about to go into where she feels potentially shamed. She feels all this stuff coming up. So now she's trying to argue about worship 
and Jesus is getting ready to sidestep that final barrier of that. Because it's so funny. You could talk to someone that is so far away from Jesus. The moment you start talking about Christianity, man, they are a theologian, aren't they? They're like, whoa, did you know in the Aramaic and the Greek and all the Dead Sea Scrolls? You're like, Dead Sea Scrolls? What's going on here? You know what I mean? But what Jesus does is he says something, but he sidesteps it. Verse 20, check this out. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where you worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, right? Verse 21, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. This is a huge declaration that Jesus is about to make. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Someone say God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he would tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Somebody give me a come on Jesus. The, the very first place that Jesus chooses to reveal himself as the Messiah I would think it would be in front of a king, in front of some high political office, maybe, you know, maybe a Roman empire, maybe Caesar himself. But Jesus chooses to reveal himself as the Messiah to one broken woman, the very first place. Because God's ways are not our ways. Jesus chooses, and here's what's so amazing in point number six is one of the greatest announcements of all time was made to one sinful woman. Jesus was saying, worship everywhere. It was an all call. And here's what's so amazing. And here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we more interested in winning a soul or an argument? Are we more interested in winning a soul or an argument? The worship team's going to come up but I want you to think about this as we're progressing through it. Jesus is talking to this woman and she goes, I know that the Messiah is gonna come and tell us all these things. And Jesus, what he's saying to one woman, he's thinking of the nations of the earth. He's saying, you're not just gonna worship at the temple in Jerusalem. You're not just gonna worship at this mountain. It's gonna be everywhere. It's so amazing that in Jesus's mind, he was seeing this room. Is that crazy? Because before you had to worship in one location and that location had outer courts, inner courts, holy of holies, and it was very divided. And Jesus was making a declaration that all could come to me. And Jesus was making it outside of the temple. It was beautiful. And Jesus was making an all call and he decided to make it to one sinful woman. What's so amazing is point number seven, as we progress in this, and you can write this down, it's Jew, sir, prophet, Messiah. Jew, sir, prophet, Messiah. What, what am I saying by this? Through conversation, this Samaritan woman talked to Jesus, first called him a Jew by his outward appearance, what she could see, then gives him a little bit of respect and calls him sir, then moves on after he kind of talks to her and calls him a prophet, and finally calls him the Messiah. Here's what I wanna encourage you with in this conversation is, would you trust the process and that trust takes time and that there truly is a power in conversation? Through conversation, really conversation in many ways is like a dance, Jesus was able to progress with this woman 
revelation, it was unfolding revelation that she finally understood, wow, this is actually the Messiah. Because check this out, verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled at that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, why, oh, no one said, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. That's such a beautiful question. That's what we want people to ask. That's what we want people in Michigan and St. Joe and Ben Harbor. That's what we want people to ask across America is, could this be God? Could, could it be? I don't know. But I want you to come and see the beauty of a conversation just like that is that as we pursue the loss, they will go back home to their friends, to their family, and they'll say, man, I had this conversation, and it, and it made me look at things differently. You think this could be Jesus? You think this could be Jesus? And, verse, and, and point number eight, here's what's so amazing is leaving Jesus, she didn't say he hates me. He judges me or doesn't want me around. Yet the contrast, she said, come and see. Come and see. And I think that, that that's what we want our life to be. That's what we want the church to be. We don't want this just to be a place that is some high castle. We want this to be a place that's a hospital, right? We want this to be a place, right? Because Jesus said I, he came to seek and save the lost. We don't want to throw out, you know, condemnations, right? We want to throw out conversations and create curiosity. Come on. What Jesus was doing to this woman was it actually was the key to unlocking revival in the whole city was a conversation with one woman that no one would think had any hope. What's so amazing, two more points and I'm done, I'm going quick. She left her bucket and she, that she had and she ran back. Why? Because she was coming back. Many times people are walking in with one thing, but they're going to leave, leaving their bucket because they've drank living water and partook in eternal life. In verse 31, it says this, meanwhile, the disciples were saying, Rabbi, eat. Verse 32, but he said to him, I got food you don't know about. Verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Verse 35, again, we said this already, but do you not say there are yet four months and then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Point number nine, Jesus came to do the will of the father, finish his work. Jesus was surrendered to the master's will. Say it again. Jesus came to do the will of the Father to finish his work, and Jesus was surrendered to the Master's will. Jesus was on a recognized mission. Jesus came to do, and Jesus came to finish the work. Some of us are floating because we are not on mission that the Father has given us. And I feel what Jesus is showing us is he's saying, hey, I'm not hungry, even though he was hungry, but his mission was to do the will of the Father. And he was telling the disciples, because over Jacob's well, there's a big field right here. But as the woman said, come and see, everyone was coming out. And, G and Jesus told the disciples, don't you say there's four months to the harvest? And then he turns his body. Most the theologians and scholars believe he turns his body and doesn't look at that field, but looks at the countless amount of Samaritans that were coming out of the city. And he points and he says, I want you to look because the eyes, uh, look with your eyes because their fields are white and ripe with harvest. 
Don't wait. Don't wait because they were known to wait. Don't wait. Know that it, God is ready to move at any place, at any time. The Samaritans were looked at as the people that would never encounter God. They even hoped that there would never be eternal life for them. Jesus says they're ripe. Final point, verse 35. Check this out. Final point. Final point, verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps. I say you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritan came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed, check this out, because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. As I finish up, final point, the wake up call of harvest. The wake up call of harvest. And as I conclude, we're gonna have a moment in a second for altar call and respond and worship. I, I, I just felt this is that in the midst of these dividing lines, in the midst of the tension through everything going on, what a perfect time for mass harvest. What a, and, and just coming as, you know, as an ambassador, as someone who's a herald of good news in a place that's dark like LA, people were weeping under the presence of God in that stadium. People were encountering God in a real way. And if LA could get encounter Jesus, right? That's a lot of people. If New York, but here's what's so amazing. Think of the hardest parts in your life or in your city. God wants to reach that place. And so my, 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 I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and Ben's gonna come up in a second, but this is what I wanna invite you into. That harvest doors can be unlocked through keys of conversation. And my question is, Will we say yes to divine conversations and will we allow the Holy Spirit to lead you? If, if you will say yes to a divine conversation, if you will say yes to conversations that unlock the harvest, I just want you to slip your hand up and, and put it back down. If that's you, if you're like, I'm gonna say yes to conversations for harvest. I'm gonna say yes to it. I hope that's everybody in this room. Don't feel pressured because I said that's everyone in this room, but I feel like God inviting us. Hey, I wanna have conversations that are around Jesus. If that's you, just lift up your hand and put it right back down. Lord, I pray for every single person that responded. I pray for every person that's saying, God, use me for the harvest. I pray that in the same way that you encounter the woman in Samaria and you turn a city upside down, you would do that with us in St. Joe, in Michigan, and beyond. We love you, Jesus. We love you.